Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, just a housekeeping thing. I mentioned this at the beginning of lots of podcasts. I appreciate all the listeners that are reading my book and sharing it with others. It's Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I encourage you to leave a review at Desert Book or at Amazon and continue to share with others. My guest on today's hello. podcast is my friend, McKay Bryson. Welcome to the podcast, McKay. Hello, hello. Um, McKay is a BYU student. Um, as of, tell us what happened yesterday in your life, your career at BYU. So yesterday was the last day of finals, and it was my final semester. So I am done at BYU. And um, I hope you slept well last night, McKay. Oh, I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> tell our listeners what degree you got. Uh, I graduated in information systems, which is in the business school. And how is the job market? Um, it is uh, a little bit hard. Lots of companies have postponed their recruiting till January, February, but hopefully it should be picking up soon. Yeah, I'm hopeful for you. I came out of that business school, that Tanner building, and I would think information systems um, with all the need for smart people in that area, you're going to find a job. So I give you hope that that'll work out and the degree you've got, it will pay off for you. I became aware, listeners, of McKay when I listened to episode 37 of Ben Shalotti and Charlie Bird's podcast. It's called Questions from the Closet. Um, I actually have listened to that episode twice now, and I encourage all of our listeners to please listen to that episode and listen to all the podcasts that um, Charlie and Ben are producing. It's a great series and helps us better understand the road our LGBTQ members walk. In that podcast, McKay joined Charlie and um, Ben, and I felt impressed to invite McKay to be on the podcast to share more of his story. So he's here in my home and willing to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. McKay grew up in Bountiful, um, went to Davis High School. Bountiful High. Bountiful High School, mm -hmm. class of 2014, served a mission. Tell our listeners where you served and what years. Uh, I served in the Bangkok, Thailand mission uh, from 2014 to 2016. Thanks for your service, McKay. Thanks. Yeah. Um, wonderful part of the world to serve in. Um, and McKay's just going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And every story is unique and different. And some of the things McKay shared on episode 37 have resonated with me, and I'll circle back to some of those because I wanted to hear McKay share more of some thoughts he shared on that podcast. Um, talk about just, um, did you talk to anybody before your mission, McKay, about being gay or same-sex attraction? Uh, I, when I was 16 or 17, I can't quite remember when, but I, high school age, early high school, I was worried about being able to go on a mission because I knew that I was attracted to guys and I thought that would be a problem with my companion. So I went in to talk to my bishop. I was really nervous about it to have that conversation because I'd never um, said anything like that to anyone. So I told them I struggled with same-sex attraction was the word I used. And, uh, that conversation, I think it was for the most part, a really good one. What he told me was, um, that 
God has a commandment for us to multiply and replenish the earth. And that's what I should plan on, or that's what I could plan on. That's what God wanted me to do. And uh, he also got rid of my fear that I wouldn't be able to serve a mission. He said, you definitely will be able to, there won't be a problem there. Um, so that was really comforting to me. And that answer uh, got me through you know, the, the next seven years of my life. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, it really calmed my fears about it. Um, but I did have to deal with it more after I got home from my mission. And let's, even though there's probably stories of your mission and um, I sense you served a great mission. And most of my guests actually don't fall in love with their companions. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise um, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, they actually, it's, yeah. It's truly what I was worried about though. And you just yeah. sort of this brotherhood bringing people to Christ. And mm -hmm. so it was that your experience that you just were part of this brotherhood and that really, and no one was dating and talking about that. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but mm -hmm. most of my guests say that actually the mission experience is a great experience. And this was mm -hmm. not really a major issue. Yeah. My, my expectation beforehand, my expectations were that I might fall in love with my companion. Right. But once I was there, I just, I loved being busy and working for a really good cause. And it was a really great experience and I didn't have any problems with being gay while I was there. Talk about, um, what led up to May of 2019 when you came out? Let's all the way fast forward to that's just a year and a half ago, roughly, from when we're recording this podcast. Um, you've been home from your mission at that point, roughly three years. So talk about all the events that led up to May of 2019 when you came out. Unless you want to talk about anything before that. It's just really your story. Um, I... Well, in the in the few years after I got home from my mission, I uh, had had a crush on my roommate when I first started at BYU, and so that that was really that was a difficult time because every time I went home to my apartment, I was worried that if I touched him, that I would be going to hell or that I would slide down the slippery slope and just be lost. So that was really stressful. Um, uh, and, you know, a few other crushes, but not on my, you know, people I lived with, but, um, so it was, it was challenging to navigate that. Um, but coming to, uh, 2019 that you mentioned, I, uh, saw an article, I can't remember what newspaper, it was Charlie Bird's article. He came out. And that was one of the first times I'd ever seen someone be gay and in the church. Um, so that was, that was interesting. That like was a signal to me that it was possible, that something was possible there. So in the coming months, I started dating a girl that I met on a study abroad. And uh, we had been dating for a month or two and I was realizing gosh, this girl is wonderful. She is gorgeous. And I love so many things about her. Um, but she likes me a lot more than I like her. And I don't know why. Um, I hadn't put two and two together yet. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, 
I was wondering what I should do about that. My plan had always been to marry a woman, like my my bishop said when I was 16 or 17. And uh, so uh, I was thinking about uh, what what to do about that situation. We'd been dating for a couple of months and I felt like I had to give more to the relationship to make it a level more serious. And I felt like I couldn't. So while that was happening, I also uh, learned that my cousin was gay. And he was the first person who was close to me at all who I, I knew was gay. And when, this, when I learned that, I like... I gasped. <laughs> I had never had anyone to talk to before who I knew was safe. Um, I always thought if I tried to uh, go and talk to somebody who is gay, that they would lead me down some path and I would end up being in Satan's power and I would be a goner. Um, but I knew that I could trust my cousin. So I texted him after I learned that and I talked to him a few weeks later, um, which is actually a funny story. I don't know. <laughs> Do you mind if I tell sure. a story? You bet. Um, Go for it. He was living with his grandparents at the time in American Fork and I set up a time and everything. It was on a Sunday and I knock on the front door and his grandparents answer the door. So I'd met them before we were making small talk while Hunter walked upstairs from the basement and uh, he walks into the front room and his grandpa uh, puts his hand on his shoulder and jokingly says, Oh, you got to help us straighten Hunter out. <laughs> and I, I was like, I didn't know how to react at that moment. I didn't know that if his grandparents knew or not. That's funny. It turns out that they didn't. And he was just, you know, saying what old guys say, that is so funny. <laughs> teasing their grandsons. Um, but we went downstairs and just laughed so hard about that. And I had been planning to come out to him, not just to talk to him about him, him being gay. I needed someone to talk to. And that kind of framed the whole conversation. We ended up laughing when going into it, I had thought this was similar to me telling someone that I had cancer. So, so that was a really important reframing of uh, me coming out. Um, I like reframing. Um, and I like you realize this isn't like a physical illness. Talk just more about, did you feel relief coming out? Did, it, did this part of you just, you've been keeping to yourself, just talk about your emotional mm. health as you started to come out? Um, I, talking to Hunter and continuing to talk to other people as I came out. Um, what happened was after I talked to Hunter, I, a few hours later, I broke up with my girlfriend and started coming out to more people in my life. So, um, did you tell your girlfriend you were gay when you broke up with her? <laughs> I, we walked out of the house and I was driving back to Provo. I was going to drive back to Provo and I said, I, I don't think we should do this anymore. And it's for personal reasons. But as I drove away, I realized I should just call her and tell her. So I told her I was gay and she was like, oh, actually that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and so she was, she was a lot, she was much more at peace about it. And I felt more at peace about it too. So I admire your integrity. 
you know, to um, talk to your bishop um, and to talk to your cousin and to, and to be upfront with your girlfriend. It seems like you're trying to walk this road with as much integrity as, and do this the very best way you can. Just keep sharing your story. I'd love you to talk. You have, tell our listeners your twin. So um, tell us about your twin. If it's your fraternal or identical, if he is straight or gay, just tell us that part of your mm. story if you if you'd like to. Uh, so I was explaining how there was a lot of things happening all at once. I was dating a girl. My cousin was gay, and one of the other things I was thinking about was I have this identical twin brother who was uh, dating a girl that he liked. Um. I can't remember. They may have been married by that point, but but he was involved with this girl, and he'd you know dated four or five girls previously since he'd been home from his mission, and we had a similar timeline of going out and coming home, and so he dated all these girls, and I hadn't date, dated hardly any, and uh, just I got to see us. Our lives should have been so similar, but they were starting to look a little bit different. So I had the ability to to compare myself to him all the time. And I think that helped me realize um, that my, that my different, that I was different, that there was something that was going to be different about my life uh, because I just couldn't do what he was doing. Um, so that was, yeah, just another helpful reference point. Um, I, as I was coming out during that process, I increasingly felt normal and I hadn't felt that before. Part of why I wanted to come out was to be more open and honest with my family. I felt like there was, you know, a significant portion of my life of where my mind was a lot of the time that they didn't understand. And it was coming to a point where I I wanted to have a deeper relationship with them. And I really enjoyed coming out to people. Um because it was always an opportunity for us to express love to each other and to say, I'm, I'm here for you, I'm here with you, and I love you in both directions. So I have retained so many of those really good people in my life who uh, told me that they love me, and I got to say, I have this experience, and um, let's learn together. And that's been really a beautiful process of being open and honest and um, just being comfortable in my own skin, feeling like I can act in a way that makes sense to me has been really great. It's a good segment. Talk about, I don't want to, has anybody said, well, you're an identical twin, your brother's straight, so you're just confused because there's mm -hmm. no way that one of you could be straight and one could be gay. And so obvious, and it as a weapon to sort of minimize your experience. I don't know if that's ever happened, if you've ever gone down that road in your own mind or if people have suggested that to you. And 
I believe that's false. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that, and the science I believe backs us up, that you can have identical twins and one can be straight, one can be gay. Mm-hmm. So any thoughts for our listeners on that, since that is part of your story? Uh, so the statistics that I've heard are that if there's identical twins, there's a 50% chance that they'll, if one of them is gay, that the other one will be. So my brother has diabetes. There's also a 50% chance that I will have diabetes. <laughs> I don't know. And so, yeah, like you're saying, it can go both ways. He's, no one's ever used that as a weapon against me. Good. Um, don't start, listeners, just because yeah. <laughs> I suggested it. <laughs> Richard has planted that idea in minds. Um, no. Yeah. It, yeah. No. That's good. <laughs> uh, talk, just keep sharing your story. Um, so you've, I like the way you say coming out makes you feel better. Um, and if I, and I think Ben talked about this in his podcast that you did with him, he talked about a bishop that said, okay, you've come out to me, but please don't ever, don't talk about this in the ward. Mm-hmm. Um, so what if, why would it be hard if I gave you that advice as a priesthood leader, as a friend, or as a family member to say, okay, McKay, you've come out, but let's not talk about this anymore. Um, I, that priesthood leader definitely had a reason for saying that to Ben, um, for saying, please don't talk about being gay in our ward or stake. And, uh, if we could just pause and think about what those reasons might be, um, the priesthood leader maybe didn't want to have people be distracted thinking about what it means to be gay at church when they should be focusing on the savior or whatever they may be thinking. Um, he, he was maybe scared of what Ben brought to the table. And I wish that the priesthood leader could reframe that and say, actually Ben has had this experience and it has brought him closer to God. So we definitely should have him talk about that. Um, I hear a lot of church leaders say being gay isn't a sin. Uh, There's nothing innately wrong with being attracted to your same gender. What I wish they would say is being gay is such a great part of you and it makes it's it's beautiful and it makes you who you are and it's not sin that's the most basic truth we can come to but but we need to appreciate people for their different experiences better i think that's a good keep along those lines um okay what what other things outside of changing doctrine can priesthood leaders or leaders say and create in a culture that makes it a better experience for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints? Um, There is when I go to church, um, not in my current ward, but in the past and in some words that I've heard about, it feels like, uh, 
church leaders, like, you know, the bishop there is a little scared or uninformed of someone who is gay. And I, I guess I, I would want them to understand that gay people can still have testimonies. Um, and that I, I would also hope that other members in the ward, if something is said over the pulpit, uh, that is maybe hurtful or not good information, that the bishop could stand up and make a polite correction uh, that is really meaningful when you don't let hurtful things stay in the air um, and the that they're made right. Um, I, in Ben's, in Ben's circumstance with his bishop, who said, please don't share that about yourself. I, that, that priesthood leader is essentially saying, please don't bring yourself to church. And if, if you want people to, stay in the church. And if you want to help people build a relationship with God, you have to say, please come and come with all of you. And we want you to be here. And uh, that is, that's all I need to hear really is like, we, we want you here. And we want you to share your story. And we love you. It, It isn't, I don't know. There's lots of variations on that, but it is pretty simple. Do you think um, God is embarrassed that you're gay? Do you think something went wrong and this is a mistake? Or do you think God, how do you think about how God feels about you, McKay, being gay? I, uh, a lot of, <laughs> Sorry. Um I think God loves that I'm gay. He he made me this way, however I ended up this way. Um he is uh proud of me. I think God is proud of you. Um, I've had the chance, and I mentioned this in the book, to give, you know, hundreds of blessings to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and I have blessed some of the most faithful, valiant, premortal spirits um, I've ever laid my hands on, and I felt um, God's love. I've never felt an impression, one of those blessings, to change through the priesthood I hold, that some, to invite somebody to change or, or to change them through the priesthood, that, that everybody's created the way they're supposed to be. I like that you were use the word proud. I think he's I think he's proud of his LGBTQ children. And I think that's often one of the key steps to healing and finding hope and sort of taking this internalized homophobia that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints feel is often their relationship with their heavenly parents and coming to the term coming to where you are that they love you the way you are. And even maybe as important as that is that you bring unique gifts to help us be a better society, 
and it'll help our church be better. Um, talk about, you talked about this on your podcast with Ben and Charlie. Talk about, and you're kind of a humble guy, so you don't like, this doesn't come naturally for you, I can sense, McKay. But talk about some of your attributes, your Christ-like chapter six, preach my gospel attributes. I think that's the right chapter um, that are part of your sexual orientation. Uh, oh, that's such a good question. I, especially in comparison with my twin, I get to see how our personalities and our interests differ. Uh, I have always been more, uh, I don't know, creative with my hands. I love anything having to do with art. And I think that maybe the Christ-like attribute there is just being able to appreciate beauty and the desire to um, create and to make the world a better place. I think that is something that's deeply ingrained in me. And I attribute that to, at least in part, to my sexuality. I, especially before I came out thinking about who I was compared to who I am now, uh, coming out was really an amazing process because I got to learn what it feels like to be different and to be um, part of a minority in some way. And... I think that gives me the ability to understand uh, people who are different a lot better than I used to be able to. Um, And yeah, that, that feels very Christ-like to me, the ability to see people in, in their lives and appreciate what is good about them and to understand their desires and, um you you talked about being proud that God is proud of me and i think that that was an important step for me uh when i asked myself uh, am i proud of being gay and i think that's a good litmus test of uh maybe uh, that is what you could be striving towards uh, to achieve greater peace. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so grateful that God made me this way. And I think it is so purposeful and uh, beautiful. And yeah. If you could press the the imaginary red button around this round table to be straight, would you press it? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> why? I think you've told us why, but why? Yeah. I, it, uh, there's too much, well, there's nothing wrong with me being gay. <laughs> that's the, that's the first thing maybe, but, um, yeah, I think, for all the reasons that I've mentioned, but, uh, I, 
uh, yeah, there's no way I would, no way I would go back. And I think it's a great spot to be in. Um, and I like the way you just talk about, you know, peace, emo- better emotional health, just living authentically. And, and obviously any internalized homophobia you picked up, you've been able to overcome that, I think, through personal revelation and through your relationship with Heavenly Father and hearing other stories and the atonement of Jesus Christ, I think, has a role here, not to make you straight, but to heal your broken heart and to give you hope. And somehow, you know, in the book I talked about Christ descended below all things, which is our doctrine, and that somehow he knows all the pain of your heart. And this is me kind of talking to other listeners that are LGBTQ and, you know, that he can go there with you and help heal your broken heart and give you hope for the future and help you feel that you're created as you're intended to be created. Nothing's broken here. Um, Are you okay with all that? Definitely. Talk about in um, in episode thirty seven. You talked about uh, Melissa's book. I can't quite say her last name. Melissa Inouye. Inouye, who's one of my heroes um, at the Maxwell Institute. We would introduce her book to our listeners and just the chapter that resonated with you and your point you you made in that podcast. I just want you to make that point again here and maybe elaborate on it. Uh, Melissa Inouye. I think the past couple of years came out with a book called. Uh, crossings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and she is this Asian cancer survivor, uh, bald woman. <laughs> like she has all these, all this intersectionality and all these things that make her different. Uh, what she talks about in her book is those that each of us is a member as a member of the church, we are a part of the body of Christ and we bring our own pieces of truth to the church. So rather than having a purely top-down, being told what to do doctrine, we have a very participatory, um, I am here and have a contribution to make kind of church. Um, As a gay Latter-day Saint, uh, Ben's example is really clear of his bishop asked him to not bring his whole self to church, but it feels like I have to fight to be able to share my story. That's definitely in the past couple of years becoming easier. I could give a talk this Sunday and say that I was gay and nobody would reprimand me. But growing up, for example, I as a kid, I remember watching a Mormon message where uh, it was about this, I think it was Sunday school president who was gay in the church. And the Mormon message is about how inspiring that is that, and how amazing the church it is that the church lets gay people have callings. And the Mormon message was trying to sh- talk about how good the church was. But what I learned as a kid was, oh, there's something different about me at the church. And it is amazing that I could have a calling there. Um, so I, but I, that idea that she shares is just so, so delicious that she says we all have our own truth to bring to the church. And I think that for me, that just changed how I participated in Sunday school. For example, I felt much more 
able to raise my hand, um, especially if I had a different perspective. Um, there's also something called standpoint theory, uh, which I'll just explain for a second. It is if, if the majority understands things a certain way, then all the other minorities have to understand it through their minority lens, but also to be able to participate, have to um, understand what the majority is thinking. Um, so minorities end up understanding two perspectives while majorities only understand one. So the result of that is that people who have differences are... Uh, their opinions maybe could be weighted more heavily in how an organization or a system should be run. Uh, and I think that has been another powerful idea that has let me know that my contribution in the church matters and that I have something to bring to the table. Um, I love that theory, and I, um, I've certainly moved in that direction and recognized my job as an ally since I'm not in any marginalized group. Is I look at my baptism covenants and I look at um, the fruits of the restoration. It teaches me to do what you're suggesting is to amp is to listen to marginalized voices and hear things from their perspective, and amplify those voices because the non-marginalized, you know, don't have that handicap with them and there's and there's and they're in the majority anyway so i just and i think christ modeled that in his ministry mm. in the case so he I, tried to give voices to people who didn't have so mm. i love that and i love the idea that we should honor your personal revelation um talk about um a kind of a core theme of episode 37 was you know we love you there's a place for you but Often it just doesn't feel that way. And Ben and Charlie, who may feel the most support of any LGBTQ Latter-day Saints in the church with books and friends and community around them, um, if they feel that it's, there's still so much pain for them and it's so difficult for them to find their place and feel like those words tr really mean true to them, I don't know if you can give any voice to just how difficult it is to really feel like you're loved and you really feel like you belong here um, in a real life, you know, more than just past lip service and practical practicalities. And if you want to talk about that. Oh, there's so much to say. I, <laughs> I, um, I, uh, I need to have these things written out. <laughs> um, yeah, it often feels like I don't have a place in the church um, when there's um, so many prophets and apostles have said to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, we want them to know that there is a place for them in the church. That's on, you know, the Mormon and Gay website. It is said and thought by many but the sentence always ends there there's always a period at the end of there's a place for you here and 
I'm still left wondering where that is. Um, where is my path forward? Um, what is the next step in my life if I can't make covenants with God? Um, and the, those, those questions are, are really hard to answer. Um, it, they're hard to bring up in Sunday school because, or in an interview with my bishop, because um, everyone feels like they have an answer for me. Um, of how my life should work out. Um, the I'm encouraged to not date, but my own heart is telling me that I cannot marry a woman. And so I'm trapped in between these conflicting expectations um, into a life where Oh, what what do I do if all my options are gone? Like, do I do nothing? <laughs> I I and and I would love to be at the church and lift other people and and do lots of good. But I'm wondering, oh, what what does my next step look like? Um. Where is it that I can help and be effective? Um, thinking about President Nelson's, uh, his first, I think it was his first conference, once he became prophet, he talked about the importance of personal revelation and how we all are entitled to our own connection to God. And that has, that's been so powerful in my life. Uh, just knowing and President Nelson expressing his confidence in me to be able to pray to God and get my own answers about things. And I think in, in a lot of ways that me coming out and wrestling with all of this has increased the need, my need for personal revelation, right? And it really has increased my desire to become closer to God. And I've, you know, sometimes surprised by the answers that I get. Um, is there a place for me in the church is, is a funny question because I'm so sure that God loves me and that he has a path and a place laid out for me. Um, and it is, it's just less clear in the church. There's also the difference between finding my place in the doctrine of the church and finding my place in the community of the church. And uh, for the most part, people are really wonderful and they are interested in me and they say they love me and they want me to be there. Uh, but there are still, uh, you know, a portion of people who tell me not to share and uh, still think that I am choosing to be gay or that even that I, if I say that I am gay rather than same sex attracted, that I've already given in to Satan. And I don't know what to say, except for it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> um, 
I uh, so it's it is challenging to find a place in the community, but there are so many supportive people, and I guess what I would would ask is there's there is a lot of people um, who love me. I do know that. Uh, what I need are allies. And I think you be an ally when you will stand up for me when I'm not there. And you will also help create understanding around my situation. It's a lot of pressure on LGBTQ Latter-day Saints to always be the ones to explain themselves and explain why things are different for them and how that makes sense. and. Uh, it, I I do at some point want to be able to not have to talk about that all the time. I want to be able to just live a happy life with my connection to God, and so I I would hope that people could fight for me in small ways. Even is so fine. Any time that. Uh, uh, for example, my mom uh, works at Channel 5 and had Charlie Bird on her show for cool. five minutes. And that was so meaningful to me that, that she gave some talk time to my topic. And uh, because it's just, it's just so important to me and it, um, the problem is an emergency in my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, just small things like that are so meaningful or small things said in conversation or over the pulpit um, that are supportive of being LGBTQ. Talk about um, this castle that you're building that you can't really go in. You mm -hmm. talked about that in episode 37. Uh, I, I said in that episode, it feels like there is, there's bishops and stake presidents and uh, friends and parents and relatives and people who aren't in the church and they're all... Um, they all have an idea of how I should live my life. And especially people in the church are building me a castle. And what I mean by that is they have this grand plan for how, how my life should roll out. And they say, look, it, it works, it's beautiful, but I'm still left wondering how, how does that actually play out in my life? How do I, if people's plan for me is generally stay single and celibate, but how does that actually work? Like who, when I walk in the door after work every day, who is going to greet me? Or when I'm old, who is going to take care of me? Or just, just logistical things that don't make sense. Um, of of how that'll work out. 
it's a really nice vision. And I am grateful for everyone doing that. But I just don't see how there's, there's just no doors on that castle to be able to walk around in it. Um, so I love your visuals. You've um, even talked about um, some of the statistics about living alone and the mortality mm-hmm. rate being mm-hmm. equal to smoking. Do you want to talk yeah. about that? Um, I, early on after coming out, I learned that being lonely for a significant portion of your life is detrimental to your health in, and it reduces your life expectancy in the same way that smoking does. So if I am alone for, you know, half of my life, then my life could be 10 years shorter. And that that was really scary to, to try to understand. I wasn't sure how, uh, I wasn't sure what that, how do, how do I reconcile me being a member or me believing these things that are going to make my life shorter? Um, it, why is God making my life 10 years shorter? You know, <laughs> it just, it, uh, that's, yeah, that's a very confusing point. And it made me wonder, oh, I, does that mean that I am a martyr? Am I, did God make me gay so that I could be some sort of sacrifice? Um, because there's not, it's not just the, that people, the, the suicide that is associated with being LGBTQ. There's also a, a quality of life and a, you know, a, a length of life and a health, all of those issues as well, um, that are maybe less immediate, but also very important. Yeah, I mean, listeners, it's taken me a while to sort of, you know, recognize the complexity. I I can go home to my wife and share everything we're sharing and and invite gay Latter-day Saints to be celibate for the rest of their life, but it's just, I recognize just what a big ass that is. I mean, I would still invite you and all our listeners to follow the teachings of the church because um, I believe in the teachings of the church and our church. But I would also invite everybody, like you're saying, is to get pe- personal revelation for their path. And then I'm just going to honor your personal revelation, especially for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I'm just going to leave any judgment to our Savior and his perfect understanding. And that's just the way, listeners, I've navigated this, because I recognize the complexity of what McKay is talking about. And and I look at my own marriage at 30 years, and yeah, there's a physical component of that, but there's all these other things that are part of our marriage. And just sharing the fact that the guy putting up the Christmas lights didn't show up and and just the, and doing the laundry together and talking about where we're going to eat for dinner and talking about people in our lives together and just sharing that. One of the firesides I did with Ben, um, after that fireside, I you know, got a nice text from my daughter's bishop who happened to be there and got to share that with my wife. But Ben, 
Shalati, I thought, who did he go home with to share that fireside with? You know, who did he share that he just spoke to a ward in Boston? And I just thought, you know, even though he's got a voice and a needed voice, I just recognize, you know, to fully love you and to say I love you, LGBTQ saints, I think I need to step in and feel your pain. And I think I need to sit with you in the complexity of the, and just honor all that pain and anger and validate that and be willing to hear the anger. You're not sharing much anger right now. <laughs> I don't know how much anger you have. That podcast, um, Charlie and Ben got a little more honest with the anger. And I think one of the things they said is, you know, people pull away when they feel our anger. It's sort of like a side of a sandbox, you know, be, we want you to be this way as an LGBTQ lottery saint, but really don't maybe want to fully understand the pain or the anger you feel. Mm. Um, and I think as Latter-day Saints allies, part of our baptism covenants is be willing to step in the space of the complexity for an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint and not prescribe, not sort of point them towards somebody else's story, not minimize their experience by pointing to the next life and everything okay, but just sit with them in the pain and the anger and the hurt and the complexity of what it's like. And for Makeda, you know, at 25, to be facing five decades of being alone if he's going to do this celibate path. And that can be, as I've learned listening, that can be enough to bring someone to just, you know, just feeling very suicidal and just facing, I can, maybe you can face another year of this, but five decades of being alone, that can just be overwhelming for somebody in their teens or 20s or 30s. So I think as Latter-day Saints, we just have to sit with people in the pain and not give platitudes. Platitudes, a simple answer that maybe keeps everything safe for me, like pointing to the next life or, gosh, this is really a good trial for you. You know, it's going to refine you in a way that you know, you should be grateful for this trial, McKay, and now I'm going to go back in my life and you just deal with this trial. I think that's a platitude to minimize and to sort of not fully be willing to sit with McKay and the complexity of McKay's road. And listeners, where it really shifted for me is when I realized that being gay is not a choice and that, and that someone can't undo being gay. And then all the responsibility fell squarely on my shoulders as an ally and as a fellow human being and a fellow Latter-day Saint, because this is my responsibility now to lighten your load and do everything I can to help lighten your load. And it's not about me being the ally sort of coming to the rescue here. It's about my role as a Latter-day Saint to help as much as I can and to pray for our leaders to continue to receive revelation on how to you're, you're exactly right when we say we have a place for you, but it just stops there. We haven't said how that works to be five-year celibate. We don't have a program in place. We don't have examples for you of senior leaders in our church that are celibate and gay. You don't look at that um, general authority chart and see people like you in those pictures and say, okay, this is how I do it. There's examples for me. There's programs. There's community. There's a club at BYU for other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that are trying to form community to make this work. We're not even allowing you to have a club. Mm-hmm. And you could talk to that because you tried to put together a club. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think that is a lot. A lot of where more of my anger is, is, is um, 
well, I'll just tell the story about the club. I, um, about a year ago, met a group of LGBTQ students in the business school, in the Marriott School. And uh, we wanted to start a club so that we could help LGBTQ students get together and um, get jobs. So we went through months of applications and uh, working with the administration. Um, Everyone was really helpful and sympathetic in the administration, but somehow every time we wanted to accomplish something, it shot up into the bureaucracy and came back down with a no. Um, and uh, right now there's, they recently started, it's called Marriott Inclusion in Business Student Society, <laughs> um, which is really great. It's for diversity and inclusion. So all kinds of diverse students can um, go to recruiting events. But my original intent in starting the club uh, in a lot of ways hasn't been accomplished is that it was so complicated for me to try and get some LGBTQ students to meet on campus, I think is just, it's one of the examples of discrimination um, I uh, that is still around in the church. And I'm, I'm sorry that having, <laughs> that, the the fact that LGBTQ students and people exist in the churches and it's inconvenient. And like you're saying, we, uh, I, I'm sorry, I can't change it. Um, but yeah, I, I want to be able to be in the church and treated like other people. And my, I'm, often assumed to, you know, have had sex or that I am, if I'm gay, then I am also breaking the commandments or if I'm gay and I bear my testimony that it, maybe there should be an asterisk, asterisk next to that. Um, I, I want, I want to be able to participate. So the, uh, the, the club was a really meaningful experience this past semester and I got to meet a lot of really good people. And I think that's been my impression overall is uh, I always assumed that I, I was one of the people that assumed if you're gay, that there is going to be complication and conflict and um, you're going to have a problem with the church. And but as I've leaned into that, I've found that they're some of the most full of integrity, kindest, highest value people, people with the highest values um, that I've ever met. Um, Yeah, um, I talk about this in the book a little bit about this, you know, that there isn't any ongoing, there isn't an organized LGBTQ 
on campus at BYU, and I feel that will happen. Um, I don't know why that hasn't happened, but I feel that obviously doesn't change doctrine just to let people walking a similar road form community. I would guess it's out of fear. Um, I think a lot of the things that keep us from moving forward are out of fear, particularly around this issue, and it creates shame. There's so much shame that we create um, for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints when we say, don't talk about it, church, or your testimony feels like it has an asterisk, or we don't let you form a club while you look through all the other clubs that are formed at BYU, and somehow this one isn't allowed, and it just creates anger, pain. Anger is a secondary emotion, as you know, McKay, from pain. Pain, I've learned, you know, there's just so much pain in this space for LGBTQ people and their families often. And that then normally leads to anger. Um, and I think we have to learn to honor other people's anger. I remember some of the YSAs in my YSA assignment, you know, opened up. They weren't LGBTQ, but just anger. And I learned that maybe that's okay just to let me let them be angry for a period of time. Um, and hopefully then I felt that was the, then agency sort of kicks in if they can kind of get through that anger and often the atonement can help heal broken hearts. And there's a lot of justified anger out there. It's not just like, it's justified anger. It's the mm -hmm. best way I can describe it. People have a right to feel the way they feel about this mm -hmm. and working so hard for a club that, didn't happen, but a version of it happened that can be complicated. Talk about, um, you haven't talked much about your future, except, you know, you're not going to marry a woman. Do you want to, I mean, if you felt like your path was to marry a man and you received personal revelation to marry a man, how should, I don't know, how should we treat you? Um, I, I would want to be treated the same as my brother and his wife when they go to church. Um, they're, you know, they can participate. They can um, say hello. People know them. Um, I... Uh, yeah, I, I don't see Nephi. God told Nephi to cut off Laban's head, and to me, murder seems worse than marrying a man. Um, there, so there just are contradictions of in in the scriptures of. There are some there's some ambiguity there, and I, I would hope that I could be trusted with my own personal revelation and allowed to have my own journey and to be uh, respected. Um, uh, and I think respect is an an important word there. Just allowed to have a difference of opinion and still have someone recognize that 
we're brothers and sisters. And, and I think maybe that's what's so frustrating about this whole process is I'm trying to bring people together to a mutual understanding by sharing my story. And when uh, I, people are trying to draw walls between me and them and I, I guess I just want a greater sense of togetherness. Um, you said some really wonderful things there. I wrote down trusted with my own personal revelation. I just, I, um, and respected for that. To me, that's just part of, you just articulated the plan. The, the mortal plan that we were sent here is to, is to be trust. I think our heavenly parents are trusting us here um, in this mortal world to receive, to make choices and to receive personal revelation. And my personal revelation doesn't give me the ability to judge your personal revelation. My personal revelation teaches me to support you in your decisions and to come together in the same human family. At the end of the day, we're spirit brothers from the same loving heavenly parents, McKay, and everybody is. And I think part of mortality is coming together and supporting each other in their differences and in their individual journeys and and just trusting and in the word you said, respecting each other in their decisions. And I admire you that you, you know, that you would, if you marry a man and if that is your path and you didn't really say that's your path, I just hypothetically went down that road. So I want to be clear on that with listeners, um, that you hope that people would still help you feel welcome and you would still want to come to church just like your brother and use your contributions to help us become a better people like you did in Thailand and like you have at BYU and like you're doing now in this podcast. Um, I think of Corinthians 12 all the time where we can't look at one part of the body and say it's more worthy or less worthy than the other. Every part of the body of Christ, the eyes, Paul goes through different parts of the body in Corinthians 12. And if I'm using the right um, chapter there, and I just think that doctrine applies here too is we are all needed. We're all equal. We're all alike unto God. But I think um, we have to have a special eye to those that walk a harder road and give them more grace as they walk that road. Um, I just, and so I think we should be extra thoughtful and extra kind um, and honor the personal revelation, particularly of marginalized groups of people. That perhaps the institution, the church doesn't have every answer for them. Um, and they have to rely more on personal revelation and their relationship with heavenly parents gets a little stronger because there's not an elders quorum lesson that just says, okay, how do you live 50 years celibate? You've never sat in an elders quorum lesson with that. That lesson doesn't exist as you know. And so what do you do? You're doing what you're taught to do. Okay. You're taught to get revelation from your heavenly father. And I think you're doing a good job of it. And I'm, we're just, I'm just going to trust you. And if you were my son, I'd just trust you. And, I, and we just leave this at the Savior's feet. And I think it's some of our listeners are hoping for changes in our church, perhaps even doctrinal changes. And I would hope that we don't, um, as long as they're not out forming movements or campaigns, I would hope that if people have hope that our, even our doctrine changes in this area, that we don't make them feel like a less faithful Latter-day Saint. <laughs> I don't think it's, 
required to be a faithful Latter-day Saint to have hopes that something changes. Um, we do know the restoration is ongoing. Um, take your vitamins. Where I draw the line, listeners, is I don't know Heavenly Father's will, and I'm not a leader in the church. So I, I don't know if our doctrine should change or how it should change if it should. I just feel pretty comfortable not at the finish line um, helping LGBTQ members um, feel fully included. We have more work to do. I feel really comfortable because I just sat with a lot of people like McKay and there's so much pain out there. And if you don't think there's pain, listen to episode 37 of Questions from the Closet. Well, so now I've talked a little more than I like to, but <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, we're at the hour and six minute mark, McKay, any any thoughts, closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, things that come to your mind, things we didn't get to? We have plenty more time. Anything, just want to make sure that everything on your mind is shared with our listeners. Um, uh, I think about my family a lot you know, every day. And I, I think about how wonderful they've been in the past year and a half. And, uh, actually on the, on the day I came out to them, um, almost all of them, my parents, my twin people that I'd grown up with for 23 years, just had no idea that I was gay. They, and I was kind of expecting them to. It seemed really obvious to me. Uh, I, I just hope that there is a day where people are people like it would be okay for me to be gay. I think they didn't suspect that of me because they didn't want to accuse me of something. And uh, being gay just isn't a bad thing. And I, I hope that there is, I hope that, uh, talking about LGBTQ issues is just one of the things that you talk about as a family. Um, because there's just so many complications that come from not being able to talk about this. And we haven't been able to have this conversation as a church for so many years. Like, you know, 40 years ago, I could have been excommunicated for being gay for saying that. And, uh, those, those truths are hard to reconcile. And I, uh, it's, it's hard to string together a story that makes sense. <laughs> so I think what is most helpful is when people take the time to listen to each other and to, uh, hopefully just try to understand there's always a level that you feel like you can't quite make it happen, but um, just being kind and compassionate and fighting for one another, even if you don't understand, I think is just innately meaningful.
you have a great life ahead of you. There's a great spirit here. When I think of the fruits, I think of um, everything I'm seeing here about McKay is a good fruit, including his sexual orientation. Um, and so I just look at our doctrine, by your fruits you shall know them. And to me, everything I'm seeing in McKay and what he's sharing and who he is and the life he's living and his ability to help other people and lift their burdens and bring people into Christ and, and the atonement, McKay's doing that. And so I just see good fruit here. And I see, but I also see that our faith needs to work harder to give you a seat at the table, a full seat at the table, so that you can use our gifts to help us become the church we need to be and to fully match the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sister McConkie in the book, I use a quote that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't marginalize people. People marginalize people, and we need to fix that. And that's one of the points of your podcast that you did with Ben and, and Charlie is this beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ that I don't think has any homophobia or transphobia or any sort of marginalization going on, but our culture does, our institutional church does. And I still have a deep testimony of our institutional church led by prophets with priesthood keys to authorize the ordinances. And we have more work to do in this space. I hold both thoughts in my brain. <laughs> um, and are a lot of our LGBTQ members have, have had to develop the same way of thinking because they just recognize we have more work to do here. So uh, McKay and I could keep going on. I, I encourage any of our listeners that may not be familiar with the book I wrote. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's at Desert Book. It's at Amazon. It's mostly just stories of LGBTQ people and their parents. That's my job as an ally. And a lot of the myths, a lot of the things we've said, like being gay is a choice, or you got sexually abused as a child, or you looked at porn and that made you gay. I just go through all these myths that I believe um, just kind of are an attempt to put everything back in this nice, tidy box that God didn't, this isn't God's plan and something went awry here. So I encourage our listeners, if you haven't read that book, to read that book, read Charlie's book, read Ben's book that's coming out. You have to, I recognized, and I think I've shared this, that when I sat across the tables of YSA Bishop and had a couple of gay men, that's when I just had this deep spiritual impression that everything I'd learned about LGBTQ people was some straight people. And they had defined that group for me. And God said, wipe your hard drive clean because you picked up a bad, lot of misinformation. You don't even know what's accurate in there. And just start from scratch and go listen to LGBTQ people. And then I read Nephi 3.7, the mysteries of God are given to him that diligently seeketh. And I just said, okay, this is a mystery. I don't know much about this space, but I'm going to go listen to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I read everything Ben Shalati wrote on his blog, and it was the beginning of my hard drive getting programmed better. I'm not saying I'm at the finish line because I continue to listen to stories and I continue to look internally and wonder what inaccurate opinions I still hold. So anyway, that's a little bit of my journey, and I encourage our listeners to continue to listen to stories like McKay. Please go to Ben and Charlie's podcast, Questions from the Closet. They're doing a fantastic job, and listen to every story you can. And Ben closes that podcast, I think it was Ben, with the invitation that McKay and I would share is just ask Heavenly Father how you can help in this space. You may not do start a podcast or write a book if you're an ally, 
or if you're a local leader, but he will help you know what you can do in your circle of influence to make a difference for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. I'm convinced of that. And so we could point to our leaders and say, the ball stops there. They've got to kind of get us to the finish line. And that, and our leaders will continue to work, I think, to get us to the finish line. But think about what you can do in your own circle to make a difference. And I'll just make sure, it, I'm going to point at you, McKay, just to see if there's any last thoughts that came to your mind since I went off again. No. All right, he's good. So this is McKay Bryson and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>